You're listening to a message from Hope Central in Adelaide, South Australia. If you'd like to know more about Hope Central or any of our ministries, please visit hopecentral.org.au. Mike's on. I was laughing my head off during worship because I, um, it is a bit wobbly, and so so am I. I uh, was laughing my head off because I realised I hadn't muted my uh, my headphone, so you guys got to miss it. But I reckon the guys on the back desk have been laughing their heads. So I'm sorry about that if you got to hear me sing. It would have been pretty average. Welcome if you're uh, joining us online, it's good to have you with us, I hope you feel a part of what we're doing today. Um, I've got a message I believe that God's uh, put on my heart for us and I think it's going to be great. I want to say good to my wife and daughter and mother-in-law in Hobart watching, they better be, I won't be able to check but hopefully they're watching. And you've got to feel a bit sorry for me because I've had to look after myself while Anna's away, you know, I had to cook for myself, which I do every day anyway, but... Uh, but I've got a confession to make right now. I'm wearing a jumper because I realised when I got up this morning and I got my shirt out to wear that I cannot iron. I'm one of these people who puts more creases in their shirts than what it was when it was on the rack. So I put on a jumper. It was that or a T-shirt and I thought Anna would be a little bit ashamed of me if I put on a T-shirt and she's probably sitting there now doing this saying, why are you talking about it? So, but that is good because that is a segue into my message, which is about shame, the weight of shame. Um, last week, Matt talked about the weight of sin, and this week I get to talk about the shade of weight, weight of shame. And it's a, I'm so nervous today, it's ridiculous. This message has weighed really heavily on my heart because I feel like God wants to do something today where he's going to... Um, He's going to open up things in your life that maybe you've just put away to the background and have been sitting on for a while. And I think this message might draw some things out today that, that need to be drawn out. And I think the Holy Spirit really wants to work today. So if I could just pray before we start, that'd be fantastic. Father, I thank you that you're a loving, kind and caring God and you have our best interests at heart, Lord. Father, with the words that go out today, let them be yours, Holy Spirit. Let people hear what it is that you want to say to them today. Take control of this meeting, Father, and let your word be heard in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of us have felt the weight of shame in our lives? Shame is a toxic and can control every aspect of our life, every thought. You know, when I was thinking about this message, I I sort of thought... What is it that people are most ashamed about in life? And I was looking through Google, as you do, because it's the most authoritative place to look. And as I looked, I found the 23 most things that people are ashamed of in life. The first three I thought was a bit unusual. Like number 13 was too hairy. That is the hairiest man in the world. But people are ashamed of having too much hair. The next one down was being too dark or too pale in life. The people get... Ashamed of that. Now, that is an Indian advert for face whitener. And when we were in India in 2014, we went to a wedding for Don's daughter, um, who is white, and uh, she was marrying an Indian lad. And they had relatives from all over the country come to visit just so they could see her skin and touch her because she was so pale. But people have this, I'm either too dark or I'm too pale, and they sell whitening creams or darkening creams, and people are ashamed of that. Um, 
Also, the other weird one was that people are ashamed of listening to audio books instead of reading books. That's in the top 23 things that people are ashamed of. Uh, Dave Washington, you are not ashamed of audio books, are you, mate? When we just drove to Yalata and back, or well, Fowler's Bay and back, 1900 Ks, and I think you probably listened to about four books there and back, so you had no one in the car with him. But people are ashamed of that. People are ashamed of so many things. And there are some really big things in there too, like not being married at the age of 30 and over. People are ashamed of that. Especially if you've got uh, grandparents who are waiting for grandkids. You know, they put the pressure on you to, why aren't you married yet? You're 30 years old, you should be producing grandchildren for me. Being overweight or underweight is another massive one in society. Society has this unhealthy picture of what people should look like. And then people really struggle with it, don't they? Whether they're too heavy or they're too light. I thought it was just big people who had a worry, a problem with it. But skinny people do too. They don't want to be skinny. You know? And we have this pressure on us and you, you feel ashamed about it. And then there's... Uh, where are we up to? Poverty. Yep, good. Poverty. Spending money that you don't have. People are ashamed of not having money. And they spend money that they don't have just to keep up with the Joneses. And that's a really vicious cycle. They keep spending to try and have this image that they're successful. Poverty is a massive one. And then the saddest of them all is being a victim of sexual assault or domestic violence. And people feel this shame because what generally happens is they feel like it's their fault. They feel like they've done something to deserve it. And they hide it and they have to hide the shame of what they go through in life. And that's a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing to hold on to. And people will suffer in silence for, for years. I want to share, I am an absolute candidate of shame. I've done so many things wrong in my life that I've let people down and I've been full of shame. And I can't share most of the stories with you, but I want to share this one with you. And I want you to remember, please, that I'm not the same person that I was that happened in this story. And when we're finished and we get down off stage, you still have to love me, okay? When I was in high school, uh, I was probably 15, and for some reason, there was a guy in my school that I bullied. I've never bullied anybody before, and I've never bullied anybody since. But this guy, every time I saw him, I felt like I had to tease him about something. I'd pay him out, I'd do stupid things to him, I'd say things in class, people would laugh at him, I made him the butt of all my jokes. He was bigger than me, but he, I don't know. I don't know what it was, but I just did that. This went on for a whole year in school, where I just bullied him constantly in school. Um, yeah, like I say, I'd tease him, and then other people would join in the, the constant harassing. You know, this guy never said anything. He just sat there and took it, which made it easier for me to be a bully, because at the end of the day, I'm actually a coward. And I'd bully this guy and make him feel bad for an entire year. And then Christmas break came, and we went away. And we came back from school, well, good old Ashley did it again and started. But I think this guy went away at Christmas and thought, I've had enough of this idiot. And he turned around and stabbed me with a compass in my hand. Fortunately, I got my hand just out of the way, but it was enough to nick my thumb and drew blood. And I remember sitting there thinking, what's wrong with this guy? Why would he try to attack me with a compass? I've only been teasing him. I'm not throwing things at him. So I went to a teacher, like all good bullies do, and I said, he's tried to stab me with a compass. My teacher said to me, obviously knowing what a jerk I was, uh, you probably deserved it. Go back and sit down. <laughs> so... I went back and sat down in my, in my chair, but I, I remember the, the, the anger in me thinking, how violent is this guy? Goodness me. Anyway, you know, it was maybe three or four weeks later, he moved. We used to have blocks at school, so I was at one end of the school. He moved 
to get away from me, and he went to the furthest block in the school. And it was only then that it dawned on me, what a horrible person I am. I've made this guy move out of his class with his friends to get away from me. And I thought, why would I do that to someone? And I, I could not shake that shame for the rest of my schooling. You know, he, he went down the other end of the school, and every now and again I'd see him, and, and I was the one who would hide. I thought, this guy must think I'm an absolute jerk, and the shame of it made me hide around corners from him. When I saw his friends, that people might know what a horrible person I was, I'd hide from them. It's pretty much the entire last year of my schooling, I'd hide when I see these people, and it never, ever went away. Now, I wasn't there the whole time. If I didn't see them, it was fine, but there was always something that triggered that shame in my life because I was such a jerk. Anyway, I left school, became a chef, and I was working in the city, and I had Mondays off, and I went to Time Zone. Does anybody remember Time Zone? It's a pinball place you used to go. And I went, I don't know, cashed out $10, a 20-cent piece to go and play Penny. And as I walked in there, I saw this guy standing there at a machine, I walked in and he saw me and he physically flinched. And we'd been out of school for so long. And I thought, it came back in that shame, like, you tall. So I didn't know what to do. So I, with the money I had in my hand, I walked up to him and I said, oh, g'day. I said, um, I don't know if you remember me or not. He's like, yes, I do. And I said, I'm so sorry for being a jerk to you in school. I was the worst person I know. I'm terrible. I said, look... Here's all the money I have, and I gave him all these 20-cent pieces I got, and he took them. Thought, Fair enough. He took them, and he said, don't worry, we can all be jerks in school, and then walked off. I never saw him again. That's the, and I thought he should have beaten me up, but he didn't. He was a much better person than I was, and he walked off, and that was the last thing I ever, that's the last time I ever saw him. But that, being able to apologise, to get rid of that shame in my life, it did. I don't feel the same. I know I was a terrible person, but I don't hold on to the shame. Shame is all-consuming. It's unrelenting, and it's overwhelming. It's there when you don't realise it. It waits for an opportunity to bob back up into your life and make you relive the bad things all over again. Shame is a failure to meet your own ideals and standards, and that's how it was with me. I think the reason I struggled so much with what happened was I think I let my parents down. My parents never raised me to be a bully, never raised me to pick on someone. I don't even know where that came from. Like I say, never before and never again. In fact, because of that instance, I think it's why I have such a passion to see people not be bullied, not be picked on. I can't stand bullies. And I think it's because of that. Oh, sorry, I'm new to this system, so if I'm just working my way around it, please forgive me as well. I don't want to be ashamed of this. Shame will hold you to account until you get rid of it. Shame gets confused with guilt. People think guilt and shame are the same, but they're not. Shame is utterly unhealthy. Sorry. Shame makes you see yourself as a bad person, whereas guilt implies you're a good person who's done something wrong. So does that make sense? Shame makes you see yourself as a bad person, but guilt makes you see yourself as a good person who did something wrong. An example of that would be if you had a car accident, you would say, what an idiot, how bad a driver am I? I won't do that again. But if, you're ashamed, if you get shame from it, you say, what an idiot, I'm the worst driver in the world, no one's going to forgive me, I'm going to lose my licence, I'm such a loser, I will never drive a car again, and that shame weighs down on you. Shame is utterly unhealthy. Shame is what happens to us when we realise we've done something we shouldn't have done. And the weight of that is very heavy. So there's the example of 
uh, guilt is a fact of having committed a, or specified, no, is that speci- yeah, specified or implied offence, and shame is a painful thing of humiliation. Sorry, I've got to look it up here. A painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behaviour. There's a big difference. In a Christian context, shame comes from when we know we've done something wrong and shouldn't continue to do it, but we do. Shame is the knowledge of right and wrong. Way back in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve worked it out. We see there the birth of both sin and shame. Shame is something that goes along with sin. Once Adam and Eve sinned, their eyes were opened to knowledge of good and evil. Previously, Adam and Eve lived in a sinless life. Um, in Genesis 22.5, which is 22, sorry, 2.25, it is actually there, that, that's before chapter 3 of the fall of man. The very last thing it says in that chapter is that it tells us that uh, Adam and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. That's right before they realised what shame is. And it wasn't until the serpent came and tricked them into eating the fruit that their eyes were opened to their wrong and instantly became shameful for what they had done and who they were. Genesis 3, uh, 6 to 11 says, When the woman saw the fruit of the tree, uh, saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eyes and also desirable gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realised they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from him. Sorry, hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. I was naked. I hid. And he said to them, Who told you you were naked? Have you, been, have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to? I always thought it was incredible how the devil could take them from being not ashamed, walking with God in the garden, to tricking them like that into eating fruit and then bringing shame into their life. It, you know, the devil was amazing the way he could bring separation like that. Adam and Eve disobeyed God's command and sent into sin enters, enters the world. Their eyes were opened and they realised they were naked. Then they heard God coming and they hid. It's an amazing story. Just one chapter before, they had no shame. And that's the way it's designed. Uh, The Bible paints shame as a negative emotion that comes from guilt or an awareness of wrongdoing. When they heard God coming, they they knew that their sin would be exposed. The thing with sin is it comes with a package with shame. Because as Christians, the minute we do something wrong, our eyes are open to it and we have remorse. We have all done things that we've been ashamed of and horrified the thing, to think that someone might find out how actually human we are. And that's when shame takes a hold on you. From that moment, you start to hide things. You start to hide from others. You start to hide away. Uh, you, you put on false faces and facades. You try to be something that you're not, but you try to hide it, and you're never, ever going to deal with it by doing that. We start to think of ourselves as worthless and stupid until finally we tell ourselves that God could never, ever forgive us. God could never make things right and he'll never forgive us. Genesis 3, 21, 24 talks about this. You see, the problem with shame is it brings isolation. It says, The Lord made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord said to the man, 
Sorry, the man has now become like one of us, good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden, worked the ground which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden a flaming sword back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So because of their sin and because of the shame they were thrown out, there was isolation and separation from God immediately. Shame is the tool the enemy uses to cause division, cause division between us and God. Shame makes us ineffective in what God has called us to do. We will constantly replay mistakes over and over in our heads. And when we hold on to our shame, we become immobilised and unable to move forward and believe that we're useless to God, which of course isn't true. Because Ephesians 1.7 tells us, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And he has an abundance of grace for all of us, regardless of what we've done. God doesn't hold accounts of our wrongdoing. That's our job. We do that. We don't let things go. We have a massive issue of letting go of the things we've done wrong. God will never hold us to account. We do. Shame is self-sabotaging. How many of us here today start growing in the things of God? You start getting excited. You start moving into your ministry calling and then suddenly a skeleton from the past pops up or you make a mistake and you think, that's it, I'm done, I've failed, I'm I'm useless, I can't do this anymore. Shame will put a wedge between you and what God's calling you to do. A skeleton, sorry, I just read that. They are a trap of the enemy. How to stop us from being all that God wants us to do. Shame definitely has a purpose, but I don't think that purpose is us retreating back to a safe and comfortable position or burying our head in the sand or hiding away so that we, nobody knows what we've done. I don't think that's what the purpose of it is. What if shame had another purpose? We've all seen products these days that say use only as directed, haven't we? You know, and if we don't, then... Uh, it's not going to be as effective or it could have a really bad outcome. Like You can use a, a spanner, if you like, to knock in a nail and it will work sometimes. But you wouldn't want to build a house like that, would you? I couldn't imagine Luke building houses with uh, just a spanner and a box of nails. Tablets are the same. You don't take tablets that aren't prescribed for you because generally they're going to be worse for you. What if the purpose of shame isn't about making your wrongs heavier but intended to lighten them? What if God didn't desire shame to be a curse, but he uses it to redirect us, to redirect our focus on him and on his grace? What if that's what shame's about? John 1.19, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all righteousness. It's an amazing promise that we confess our sins. He is uh, going to forgive us. But it takes us to be honest. It takes us to be humble. It takes us to look at ourselves in a different light and not try and hide away. We need to come and lose all our pride and fall at his feet and ask for his grace and his mercy. You see, I think that sin needs shame to help us repent. When shame rules your life, it brings separation from God, as it did in the Garden of Eden. They were cast out, never to return. Adam and Eve didn't repent, they didn't say they'd done something wrong, they went and hid and they covered themselves in shame because of, sorry, because of their shame 
and because of that it brought separation. They did not allow God to get at the root of their shame and release them from the weight of it. And I reckon there would be people here today who have done the same thing. I'm not going to let God get to this because nobody can know. And that God can never get to the root cause of what it is that holds you back. Psalm 34, 4-7. I saw the Lord, he answered me. He delivered from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord him, and the Lord said to him, and he saved him out of his troubles. The angel of the Lord is around those who fear him and delivers them. I don't think that, I think that's missing lots of words by the, by the way I read that. But the fact of the matter is, the face of people who know Jesus and love Jesus and focus on Jesus are radiant. They're alive and they are not covered with shame. This is what he's saying here. When you call on the name of Jesus, he sets you free. He brings you joy. It's an amazing thing. Shame can define you if you let it. But it's not intended to do this. Your identity doesn't come from what you've done. Your identity comes from what God's done. Get that in your spirit. It doesn't matter what you've done in your life. What God's done for your life makes every difference. And there is nothing to be shameful in that. In fact, it's the complete opposite. We could never break the curse of shame through works and sacrifices. If I was just better or I could just start over, it would be much better. If I prayed harder, if I didn't do anything any wrong anymore, how many times do we do that? You know, if I just stop it, everything's going to be fine. If I just pray a little bit more, God's going to hear me and I'm going to be okay. If I just volunteer at the church, I'm never going to have a problem again. Works and things don't do it for you. Those things are impossible to achieve. achieve. And David had it right. David, of anybody who, knew, who should have had shame was David. But he had it right in Psalm 51 where he, the whole Psalm 51 is a prayer of repentance and sorrow. And it says in 51, 16 to 17, For you will delight, you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You would not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O oh God, you will not despise. God doesn't want our works. We are not going to be set free by how much we do for the kingdom of God. We're going to be set free by a broken spirit and a humbled heart to God. And David knew nothing that he do, could do could remove the weight of shame that he had. He knew that after the things that he had done wrong, the only possible thing that he could do was to have a broken spirit and a contrite heart before God. Feeling remorse at, at the recognition he had done wrong, he asked for God's mercy and forgiveness. And that's where we need to be. Shame breaks relationships with God. Shame blocks your ability to see yourself as a child of God and that God could ever forgive you. Nobody wants that. If someone had a flaw, it should be David. If someone who's flawed at David was known to be a man after God's heart, after everything they did wrong, adultery, murder, and at the end of the day, God called him a man after his own heart, and why do we struggle so much to receive God's grace and forgiveness? Why do we struggle so much with shame? Why do we hold on to the things that hold us back and bring us down? If David was a man after God's heart, why can't we be? Because our God has not changed. He's not different. He's the same God today 
and forever. Can we have the band, please? We are not designed to live in shame, but in freedom. Shame is God's way of drawing us back to him. Shame is God's way of opening our eyes to the things we've done so we can repent and continue on the journey that God's called us on. There are always consequences for the things we've done wrong, but God will never hold them against, against us. That's not what God does. God is a God of love. He's a God of freedom. God is a God who wants to set us free. Now, I know there are people here today who have held on to things that they've done wrong in the past. You are feeling shameful for things that maybe have been done to you. God today wants to do an amazing thing where he wants to set you free. He wants to release you from the trap of the enemy. He wants to take the weight of shame from your life and he wants to restore you. He wants you to stand with your chest out and know that you're a child of God. Shame will stop you from knowing you're a child of God. Shame will hold you back from everything that God's got for you. Today, break that cycle. If we just have some music playing in the background today, I want to see people come forward. I don't want to know what it is that you're shameful for. That's your business with God. But I think as a family, and that's what we are, we're a family here for one another. We need to be praying for one another. We need to be building into one another's lives. So please come forward as they play music today. We've got a team of people who want to pray with you. I don't want you to tell us what you're shameful of. I want you to have someone around you who can help you move forward and through it. And know that the Holy Spirit is going to change your life. Everybody here has done something they're not proud of. If, it hold, if it's holding you back today, if it's stopping you from being all that you can be, don't allow it. Don't allow it. This is not the Garden of Eden. The devil cannot do this. We've been set free by Jesus. That cross sets us free. So if you need prayer today as we play some music, please come forward. Let's pray. Let's get this done. No one moving around. We're not opening the doors. We're not going out to the cafe right now. As a family, we're going to pray together and see people set free from the weight of shame in their lives and move forward into all that God's got for them. So we stand, come forward if you need prayer. You've been listening to a message from Hope Central in Adelaide, South Australia. If you want more information about who we are, visit us at hopecentral.org.au or join us for Sunday worship at any of our three campuses.